0: Our worship leader said earlier from Ephesians that we are to sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. The psalmist said that God would surround us with songs of deliverance. Tomorrow the nation celebrates a man who, what was just sang by Adriana was his song of deliverance. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. will be honored tomorrow. The only other American uh, who has a holiday is George Washington. And so tomorrow, as it has been said, is not a day off but a day on to commemorate the work that was done not only by him but by so many others, black and white, uh, to help bring the nation to where we are today out of its past of segregation and slavery and all kinds of evil atrocities. So um, I, I remember things I've read and stories I've heard that on the day that Dr. King was assassinated in Memphis on April 4th, 1968, he spoke over the balcony of the Lorraine Motel and he said to one of the ministers that he wanted them to play that song on his saxophone, Real Pretty That Night, to play. Precious Lord, take my hand to play it real pretty that night. And uh, moments later, he was taken. And he got to sing it and hear it played in a way he never heard it on earth the minute he went into heaven when the Lord actually took the hand of Dr. King. Um, A prophetic moment, and I thank God um, for the legacy and the life. Of that man. I, I stand on his and Fred Shuttleworth's shoulders today. And uh, Rosa Parks, we stand on those shoulders as sons and daughters of former slaves and former slave owners here in the South yeah. coming together as a realization of the dream. Not just coming together for a picture, but above that, coming together for a purpose to be the hands and feet of Jesus in his diverse body called his diverse kingdom. So I'm honored. Thank you, Adriana. That was a Blessing. Can we give God praise? My God. Amen. And thank you, Ben. Your brothers are tight. Thank you so much. Would you turn in your Bibles to Second Kings, chapter twenty, the Old Testament book of Second Kings, chapter twenty? And if you don't know where Second Kings is, it's right after 1 Kings. <laughs> amen as you're turning there be in prayer this week this saturday the elders and i and our elder candidates will meet we will have a retreat and we have stated that uh, we will spend an inordinate amount of time in prayer yes we have a lot of business to discuss um, but the bible says that the elders fell down they prayed in heaven And uh, and I thank God for my guys. Can't wait to pray with them on Saturday. So pray for us that we will pray for you this Saturday. And uh, and then God will rain down on us the strategy, the direction, the vision, the hope, the courage, everything we need to lead into this next season. And then next Saturday, the 28th, we'll have a pre-members class. So if you do not have a church home, I want to tell you that you need one. You need community, you need accountability as we heard today. You need a pastor, you need people to watch for you in an official capacity. So if this is not the church, we'll help you find one because every Christian needs to be a part of a sheepfold and to have an under shepherd. And, uh, and if you want to explore what this church is all about and if this is the place for you, join my wife and I next Saturday at nine o'clock, uh, not, not next Saturday, the 28th Uh, to talk about that. And so in the seat pockets, there's a card. You can fill that out. You can give it to one of the ushers. Leave it on the stage. Give it to me. And uh, we'll look for you that day. No pressure. No pressure at all. All right. 2 Kings chapter 20. Do you have it? Say amen. 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 All right. Well, after a 13-month break... It took Amanda Nunes just 48 seconds to beat Ronda Rousey at UFC 207. Ronda Rousey had been beaten 13 months prior. She had never lost before in the UFC boxing and kickboxing confederation. Had never lost, but she lost. Stayed out of the limelight for 13 months, supposedly trained underground, came back, to try to win the title, and 48 seconds later, she was knocked out. Once Ronda Rousey got hit in the face, it was over. She had been used to hitting a lot of other people in the face, but she was not too used to getting hit in the face herself, and once she got hit, it was like everything just crumbled. It reminded me of something that Mike Tyson once said, when boxers would try to put together a strategy while fighting him, Iron Mike, when he had that monstrous testimony back in the day of knocking people out, Mike Tyson said, well, everyone has a plan until they get punched in the face. <laughs> when you get punched in the face, a lot of times, just, everything just flies out the window, and you're in survival mode. Well, if you live long enough, life will punch you in the face. And when it does, what will you do? Will you lie on the mat beaten up and ready to give up? Or will you get up and do like King Hezekiah did and turn your face to the wall and pray to God? In 2 Kings chapter 20, we're going to uncover another one of our unsung Bible stories. One that we don't always read about or hear about. And let's begin reading at 2 Kings chapter 20, verse 1, from the New King James Version. And the Bible says, in those days, Hezekiah was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, thus says the Lord, set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Then he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord, saying, Remember now, O Lord, I pray, how I have walked before you in truth and with a loyal heart and have done what was good in your sight. And Hezekiah wept bitterly. And it happened before Isaiah had gone out into the middle court, that the word of the Lord came to him saying, return and tell Hezekiah the leader of my people. Thus says the Lord, the God of David your father, I have heard your prayer, I have seen your tears, surely I will heal you. On the third day you shall go up to the house of the Lord and I will add to your days 15 years. I will deliver you and this city from the hand of the king of Assyria, and I will defend this city for my own sake and for the sake of my servant, David. Then Isaiah said, take a lump of figs. So they took and laid it on the boil, and he recovered. So let me share with you the thought today of even a king needs the king. Even a king needs the king. Let's pray. Daddy, we need you. So glad we got you. But above all, we're so glad that you've got us. As the old folks would say, just hold on to God's unchanging hand, but we're so glad that God holds on to our changing hands and changing minds and changing feet. Thank you for an everlasting love, an unconditional love. A love that transforms us and changes us. Thank you that you do not law us into obedience, God, but you love us into obedience. Thank you as we worship today. We acknowledge your holiness. You're set apart. You are unique. You are distinct. There is none like you. You are the transcendent God who is not only high, but you are the most high. So glad you look low. So glad you not only look low, but you sent your son down low so that he who was rich became poor, so that we through his poverty might be made rich. Thank you for the ultimate gift of salvation through Jesus Christ. Thank you for the victory that we have in him and because of him, and thank you that he gave us the precious Holy Spirit. Lord, fill me with the Spirit of God, not just to preach this message today, but also to live for you today. Fill your people with the Spirit to not only hear your words, but to do your words today. So glad you're with us and you will never leave us and you will not forsake us. Thank you for the life of King Hezekiah. Thank you that we can see his successes as well as his failures. Thank you that we can learn from both. Thank you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, Hezekiah was one of the few good kings in the southern kingdom of Judah. You know, the kingdom split in 931, The north became Israel, the south became Judah. And in the northern kingdom, not one godly king was on the throne. But in the south, the southern portion of the nation, there were a couple of godly kings. But for the most part, there were wicked leaders who would turn God's people away from Yahweh into spiritual adultery and prostitution. Well, Hezekiah was one of the few good kings in the southern kingdom of Judah because the Bible says he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. Under Hezekiah's administration, he cleansed the temple. He restored temple worship, which means he got the Levites together all the people that play instruments, and all of the singers, he consecrated them so that they could sing unto the Lord and minister unto him once more. Because under former regimes, they had let the house of God go dilapidated, they had let the singers and the Levites go, they had stopped offering sacrifices to God, and on high places they were offering sacrifices to Baal and to Asherah. But when the leader got right, When a good man got into place, the Bible says that righteousness is what exalts a nation, but sin is a reproach to any people. And a lot of times it starts with the leader. And when Hezekiah came, he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord. He cleansed the temple, he restored temple worship, he reinstituted the Passover. It got so good for the people of God that they not only kept it for seven days, they kept it for seven more days. Revival was breaking out spiritual reforms were happening, and he reestablished the priesthood. On top of that, Hezekiah was an effective military strategist. So when the Assyrians had defeated the northern kingdom in 722, taking them into captivity, and then sending other nations into what would be known as Samaria, to mix up the religion and to mix up the ethnicity of the people of God, the Assyrians began to move south to conquer the southern kingdom as well. And when the, southern, uh, when the Assyrians came and they surrounded the walled city of Jerusalem, Hezekiah said, I tell you what, they may be out there but they're not gonna drink any water. So he had his people somehow stop up all of the brooks and the springs and all of the water holes so that the enemy could not drink water as they planned to attack the people of God. But what he did do was he had his people somehow, and I would imagine with the help of God, to dig underground tunnels so that water could come in from outside of the city into the city underground. And those tunnels are still there today if and when you take a pilgrimage to the Holy Land. And so he was a military strategist. The enemy can't drink water, but the people of God can. And not only that, he continued to build up the walls and he had weapons and shields made. But most importantly, Hezekiah, the man that my grandfather was named after, he was also a man of prayer. Scripture tells us that King Hezekiah prayed for the nation to be saved on multiple occasions when the Assyrians in particular came against the people of God. And God heard the prayers of the king and time and time again he delivered the people of God. So much so that one time God said that don't worry about the enemy They're going to hear of a report to go back because there's going to be another skirmish with another nation. They will leave from you, and they will go back to Assyria. Well, before they went back, uh, the the Rabshakeh, he's kind of like the counselor. I like that name, Rabshakeh. He was the one that was speaking on behalf of the king of Assyria, and he told Hezekiah, "Uh, you you may think you've gotten away, but we're coming back. Before he left, he gave Hezekiah a letter And basically a letter saying that your God is no God at all. We've defeated all the other nations who've trusted in their gods. Your nation will be the same. We'll be back. Well, when Hezekiah got that letter from the Rabshakeh, he went into the house of God. And he got on his knees and he laid that letter before God. And he basically said, God, do you see what I see? I want you to read this letter because it's not about me. It's about you. This battle is not mine. It's yours. And God heard the prayers of the king, and he saved the people of God. There would be times that Hezekiah would pray for unconsecrated people to not be destroyed by the holiness of God. For as these uh, rituals were being restored and these religious ceremonies were being restored, there were some people who said, man, yeah, I wanna take part, but they didn't consecrate themselves according to what the law said. And so Hezekiah stood in the gap And prayed for them that the holiness of God would not destroy them. And God heard the king's prayer and had mercy on these folks who were zealous, but they weren't doing things the right way. And now, in 2 Kings chapter 20, we see that he is praying that he might be saved from a sickness that's leading to death. He has a boil. And this boil is so serious that Isaiah the prophet came to him and said to get your house in order because you're about to die. Well, let's look at the text in depth. In verse one, it says, in those days. Well, when we read the story of Hezekiah turning his face to the wall, it occurs in three different portions of scripture. It's here in 2 Kings. Is found in Second Chronicles but it's also found in the book of Isaiah. So this is a big piece and when you read them all together uh, and you piece the different uh, nuances of the story together we see that in those days is basically 701 B.C. And uh, the southern kingdom has been going at it with Assyria and the Lord has been delivering them time and time again And when we read what happened in the earlier or rather the latter portions of chapter 19, the Assyrians outnumbered the Jews. They had 185,000 soldiers at least, may have had more. And the Lord heard the prayers of the people and the king and he sent an angel out to, to put to death 185,000 Assyrians in one night. So that when the people woke up the next day, they saw bodies littered everywhere. And somebody says, man, I don't believe that. Well, I'm here to tell you, I do believe that. Because God is slow to anger. But if you push him to a point, especially when you come against his people, the apple of his eye, he'll raise up. And in this case, he raised up and one angel put to death 185,000 Assyrians. So Hezekiah is coming out of a time of great victory because he saw God do a mountaintop moment. He saw God do a miracle. He saw God answer prayer. So in those days when he was walking in victory in those days when he was experiencing answers to prayer and a mountaintop experience, he would go from the mountaintop straight down to the valley because he had a boil and he couldn't get healed from it. And that's usually how life is. Life is full of mountaintops and valleys. As soon as you come out of a mountaintop, there's a valley waiting on you. And some people would like to think that all of life is a mountaintop. No, 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 no. There are ups and there are downs. And then some people would like you to think that all of life is a valley, that it's all hard times. No, there are ups and there are downs. So if you are on a mountaintop, I got some uh, challenging news for you. It usually means a valley is on the way. But if you're in a valley today, I got some good news for you. That means that a mountaintop is on the way. That's the way life is. God takes us through things to keep us dependent on him. Just like when he told the Israelites, when you go into the land that I'm giving to you, that I promise to you, a land flowing with milk and honey, and you live in houses that you did not build, and you drink from wells that you did not dig, God said, don't forget me. Because the tendency is when we're on a mountaintop, we forget the Lord. The tendency is when, as Elder Clifton said, the Lord opens up the windows of heaven and pours out a blessing, we tend to not pray when the blessings come to the same fervor and degree than when we're waiting on the blessings. And God will use the tension and and the stress of life to bring us to him because for God, it's all about intimacy. It's not about the stuff. He wants us. And he also knows how prone to wander we are. So like a good shepherd, he leads us through the valley of the shadow of death, he's with us, and he'll take us to the green pastures. So don't get discouraged if you find yourself in a valley. The shepherd knows what he's doing. For one day is just as ordained as the other. The mountaintop is just as ordained as the valley, and Hezekiah was in a valley. Bible says that he was sick and near death. Now, I need to let you know something. He's a young man. He's 39 years old at this time, 39. In a moment, God is going to heal him and add 15 more years to his life, and he's going to end up reigning until he passes away at age 54. But at this time, he's a young man. And as he said in one of the other portions of Scripture, I was in my prime. And he's hit with this staggering news. And this also lets us know that whether you live in the White House or the outhouse, Trouble has a way of finding you. It doesn't matter how much money you make. doesn't matter how many people you know. When you're human, you are not exempt from pain and suffering. And so Hezekiah, the mightiest man amongst the Jews, he was sick and near death. And Isaiah the prophet, or in other words, his pastor, the son of Amos, went to him and said to him, Thus says the Lord. Set your house in order, for you shall die and not live. Now, it's one thing when a doctor tells you something like that. You know, you got six months, or you got three years, or you got this, or you got, when a doctor tells but when a prophet tells you this, who has a 100% track record, that's how you knew a real prophet of God, they, they didn't fail, they didn't mess up. So when Isaiah told you something, Hezekiah was like, oh, man, this is it. And so the prophet comes and he says to him, you got to set your house in order. Now, we may hear this today and we think about estate planning, and that's true. And we have people in this church who can help us prepare our estates. We should have wills, living wills, and we should have insurance, and we should be thinking about our children and our children's children so that when we pass, the church doesn't have to scramble to try to get enough money to get a casket to bury you in. You know, we we, we should take care of that kind of stuff while we're alive. And so so he says, set your house in order, but he wasn't talking about that. What he was talking about was the house of Judah. He was a king in the lineage of Judah. And so... To set his house in order meant he needed to appoint an heir to take his place, to sit on the throne. Now, that issue right there is not only a problem, but it's a solution to Hezekiah's needs. The problem is Hezekiah doesn't have a son at this time. So there is no one to give the throne to. So he can't pull someone from another tribe or someone outside of his own familial bloodline because God made a promise to David in 2 Samuel chapter seven that there will always be a king on the throne from the lineage of David, Judah. And so, for that to happen, that would mean Hezekiah would have to have a son because he was a descendant of David. And in order to keep this line perpetuating until the king, Jesus, would be born, that would mean that Hezekiah would have to have a biological son from his own loins. So it's a problem. He can't really set his house in order because he doesn't have a son to carry on. So that's going to be also the solution to God extending mercy and grace to him. Because there's so much more than Hezekiah's needs. This is about God's program going forward. And Hezekiah just happens to be a part of that program. So he says, set your house in order. You shall die. Now, I don't ever want to hear a doctor, yet alone a prophet, tell me something like this. I don't want somebody to tell, but, but sometimes we get so spiritual that we think we could hear news like this and it wouldn't phase us. Stop tripping. I know you're a Christian. I know that Jesus has defeated death. We know all of that, but we're human. And the thing about death is that death is not natural. So whenever we're encountering death, facing death, it's not natural, and there's a bit of the unknown, and, 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 and the, the thing is, a lot of us, we want to go to heaven, but don't nobody really wanna die. But to get to heaven, you gotta die. But to die is not natural, because God created us to live forever. But when we sin, we would die forever. But because he loved us, he sent his son Jesus in the likeness of human flesh to die for us in our place so that we could then live forever. But even on this side of the cross, because when you read this, Hezekiah didn't know anything about the resurrection of Jesus to give him hope. we on this side of the empty grave, and if somebody tells us news like that, it might shake us up. You're going to die. Wait a minute, I want to see Jesus, but man, I don't want to see him right now. <laughs> but then some saints don't they are ready to go. That's when you know it's a work of the Lord, they're ready to go, but he's in this place. He hears this news, you're gonna die. What does he do? Verse two, he turned his face toward the wall and prayed to the Lord. So he's laying on a sick bed. The bed is probably in a corner uh, where, where the wall is. So because he can't get up because of the boil, he's in his sickbed, he hears the news, and he turns his face to the wall and he prays. Why does he do that? Because in his room as the king, you have all kinds of attendants. You have all kinds of counselors, nurses, doctors, uh, captains, all kind of people in the room with him. And so in order to get a private moment with God, He has to turn his face to the wall so that he's not distracted by the people who are in the room with him. And so that tells me something about prayer, that it's easy for us to get distracted uh, when we're trying to talk to God. And so that's why we close our eyes when we pray many times so that we're not distracted by what we see. But this man took it to a whole nother level. I'm turning my face to the wall because I don't need to see all of y'all right now. I don't even need to hear all of y'all right now. I need to get before the Lord and it's a sign of brokenness, penance, and dependence upon the Lord. And I'm finding now with the information age that has been on us for the last 15, 20 years that it's getting harder and harder and harder to have time with God that is uninterrupted. I'll just confess and tell you that, man, it's hard to pray when I'm in my room and I hear my computer going off or I hear my phone going off and you're trying to have some quiet time with God and we get distracted. We get distracted. And so sometimes we got to turn the computer off, unplug the phone, power it down so that we can have some uninterrupted, undistracted time with God. And when he turns to the wall, some would say that's dramatic. But again, you're not in no shoes. You haven't had that kind of news given to you. You don't know what you would do. Because he couldn't get up and go to the temple, he had to turn to the Lord and trust that God's presence was everywhere and not just in the temple and say, God, I need you right now. I don't want to die. I don't want to die. You see, the Hebrew people were demonstrative intercessors. Again, let's slip out of American Christian culture and let's try to go back a few thousand years and see that these were a people who would rip their clothes when they were hit with bad news. The ripping of the clothes was a sign that their soul was in anguish. So when Hezekiah would get certain news about the enemy, he would rip his royal garments because his royal garments could do nothing against this imposing threat. He needed God to intervene for him. So he became undignified, if you will. And if I were to rip my sweater or rip my shirt, I would become undignified. But in the Jewish culture, that was a sign of dependency and brokenness. And then they would also dress in sackcloth and they would put ashes on themselves. They would lift their hands, they would cry out loud, they would shout to God, that was a part of their culture. So let's be careful of not judging people by our culture and our modern standards. And that's why sometimes it's hard to do a multicultural church. I'm looking here, we got Native Americans, we got African Americans, we got Caucasian Americans, Latino Americans, Africans. We got different cultures and ways of worshiping God. And we need to be free in who we are and how God made us and how God raised us in the faith. Some of us, like Psalm 46, be still and know that I am God. That's in the Bible. Be still. Others of us, like, clap your hands, all oh ye people, and shout unto God with the voice of triumph. This side puts down that side. That side puts down this side. But as long as it is in the book, we are all right. So let's not try to impose on people. You know, I wanted to run when that sister hit that note. Then run! (laughs) No, I didn't want to do that. Be who you are as you worship God. He says to the Lord, he says, Remember now, O Lord, I pray. And he starts kind of going through his track record. He's like, I've walked before you in truth, and I've had a loyal heart. And so he's kind of giving God his track record and, and, and for those of us who may not have a strong track record where we, we can say, Lord, remember now how I've lived for you, you know, so, so Lord, help a brother out, you know, be gracious to me, Lord. <laughs> for those of us who may not have a straight track record and you can't say, remember now how I've walked, you can go to the book of Luke, how the thief on the cross who lived a crazy life, he couldn't say to Jesus, remember now, but all he said was, remember me. So sometimes when you pray, your your life, and and, and truth be told, all of our lives, we all fall short. So we really can't earn anything from God by how we live. So let's just face that right now. Jesus earned salvation for us by what he did on the cross. Salvation is not earned by what we do. Now, because we are saved, our lives should show some resemblance of meeting a holy God who has us, as Jules said, in the process of transformation. But when you can't say, remember now how I've lived, at least say, Lord, remember me. Have mercy on me, a sinner. He's a merciful God. And the Bible says that Hezekiah wept bitterly. He wept bitterly. What this means is he wept profusely. The king was crying alligator tears up in him. And he didn't care what anybody thought. As far as he was concerned, it was only him and God in that room. And that's when you know you've had a connection with God, when you really turn away from the distractions and you don't care what's going on around you. You've connected with God and he's connected with you and you emote in his presence. If your bad situation hasn't caused you to pray passionately and expressively to God, it isn't that bad. Somebody say don't take all that. I told you life would hit you in the face. I remember the day when my son, my boy, young, he had to get tubes in his ears. I forget how old he was, he was a little thing. And I was like, man, my boy gotta go under the knife. Man, that thing tore me up because as a parent, you wanna take the place of your child when your child suffers. You don't wanna see him have a fever. You're like, Lord, give me that fever don't let my child go. And then when my boy had to go under the knife, had to have surgery, man, when they rolled him out of that room, I fell down and I ate carpet in that hospital. I said, Lord, have mercy on my son. I can't fix it. I can't help him. It's out of my league, but it's not out of your league. Life will hit you in the face. Where will you turn? I remember when, My daughter, Karis, was born prematurely, two pounds, four ounces, and she was on an incubator for days. I remember going in, crying out to God over my daughter, Lord, have mercy on my daughter, save my daughter. The doctors tell you everything that could go wrong, but Lord, I'm trusting you to make this thing go right. I remember when my wife went into early uh, uh, labor with Karis, and one day, and they put her on bed rest for six weeks, and one day they gave her some magnesium. They gave her too much. And when I went in to see my wife, I'm gonna take y'all back on this, it reminded me of Diana Ross in the movie Mahogany when she was uh, overdosing in, in a straitjacket in a rubber room. That's what my wife looked like. I, I said, Lord. She couldn't talk. She like I'm like, Lord! They gave her too much dope, Lord! And then I'm starting to think, I'm sorry y'all, I turned fatalist, I said, well, you know, if she don't come back from that, I'll just, you know, I, I'm, it's till death do us part, and I'll be with her, and I'll be wiping drool from her, and we'll do all it, we'll stay together. And I was preparing myself, but at the same time, I said, Lord, bring my wife back. <laughs> her mother was there, Ms. Mac don't play. She like, let me find a doctor. My daughter don't look right, and they found a doctor, they found that they were giving her too much of that magnesium, they turned it down, my wife came back, thank you, Lord Jesus. In the book, Fresh Wind, Fresh Fire, Jim Cimbala wrote, if we do not yearn and pray and expect God to stretch out his hand and do the supernatural, it will not happen. We got to believe God. Hezekiah may have wept because he was in the prime of his life and didn't want to die. He may have wept because he had no legitimate heir because Manasseh had not yet been born. One of the surest ways to get your prayers answered is to pray according to the word of God. He knew there had to be an heir. So he's believing, oh, God, you got to keep me alive long enough to get an heir. So when God gives him 15 more years, when he dies, Manasseh takes the throne at age 12, So God gives him that son because God had to keep the lineage of David going. So when Hezekiah prayed, listen to this, if you want your prayers answered, you pray according to the word of God because the word of God is the will of God and God is obligated to answer the will because he will not neglect nor deny or contradict his word. So when we pray according to his word, which is according to his will, we will receive the things that we've asked for. It may not come the way we want or how we want, but he is going to ask when we pray biblical prayers which signify his will so if you are out of work today you have a biblical prayer that you can pray and this prayer is in the will of God because when God created man he created man to work if a man doesn't work he shouldn't eat so you can go to God saying Lord you when you created Adam you put him in a garden to work I've been created in the image of Adam Lord I'm supposed to work when Jesus was on the earth he said my father is working I'm working, Lord. Everybody working but me. Lord, I need a job. You go to him based on his word. Mm -hmm. Again, he may not come when you want or how you want, but he's right on time. Pray according to his word. And that's what Hezekiah was doing. And God said, I have heard your prayer. That's good when God says that in your soul. When you know God heard what you said. He said, I have seen Your tears. Can God say this about you? Can God say this about me that I have heard your prayer? He can't hear your prayers if we're not praying. And God knows our heart, but sometimes he'll squeeze the heart so that your eyes start watering. And so for men, I I just got to say this because a lot of times as men, we don't like to show emotion. But the Bible admonishes us that number one, men ought to always pray. Luke 18.1, 1 Timothy 2.8, even praying with hands lifted up to God. So you may say that's not my culture, but that's biblical. That's not my denomination. But lifting of hands, especially in intercession, is biblical. So are you a biblical worshiper or are you just still stuck in tradition and denominationalism and fear and ultimately pride, which is why we got to say, I give myself away. And if you tell me, based on your word, to stretch out my hands, or like he would say to King Solomon, King Hezekiah, fall down in front of all of the people what would happen if we would see our presidents fall down before God? I believe it would be a domino effect of humility and brokenness that would run through the nation. So when a leader, a pastor, a president, a father in the home can say, God, I don't have the answers, but you do. Amen. It affects the wife, it affects the kids. And when that father, that husband, that man shows emotion, cause you got some guy saying, I don't cry. Well, let me tell you some real men do cry. Yes sir. Jesus cried. I don't know a man more real than that. So don't play with me. Stop holding your emotions and suppressing. Mm, I ain't going to let it go. I ain't going to let it go. Let it go. God said, I've heard your prayer. I've seen your tears. Surely I will heal you. And had Hezekiah not prayed, had he not poured out his heart before God-like water, then he would not have been healed. And might I add one proof, one proof that we're Christians. What one proof is that the father answers the prayers of his sons and daughters. That's one way of knowing that you're a child of God is that God answers your prayers. And he answered that prayer that day for Hezekiah. So life hit Hezekiah real hard, but he turned to God. And when life hits you hard, where will you turn? He turned to the wall. He turned to God. But when it hits you, where will you turn? Will you turn, like so many, to alcohol abuse and prescription drug abuse Because if you turn to those things, they will let you down. Will you turn to materialism and making more money and working more hours? Because there's this pain that you have, and you're suppressing it by being busy. Or you're trying to buy something to fill that gap and to deal with that pain, but you keep getting let down. And some people, when life hits them, they want to hit other people. Some people will turn to food and overeating. Some will turn to other people. Yeah, people are here to bear our burdens, but don't get it twisted. They're not the ultimate burden bearer. Don't become codependent and put your faith in people you can see, because that's a lot easier than putting your faith in a God you can't see. But God says, I'll have no gods before me, even your accountability partner, your pastor, your brother, your mother, your husband. God says, I want you. And what I'll do is I'll put you in that thing. You keep depending on people. People going to let you down. Turn to me. I'll never let you down. Hezekiah, turn to God. Well, on my Facebook page today, I'm going to have a video that I want you to look at. Because it's a video of another king who turned to God. We see here that King Hezekiah turned to God when life had hurt him badly. And there's another king who turned to God and he was born 88 years ago today, January 15, 1929. And when this king was born his name was Michael. And then king, we started our struggle, Michael King Jr. And His father, Michael King, Sr., took a trip to Germany and learned more about the great reformer, Martin Luther, who this year, because the Reformation happened in 1517, we're about to have an anniversary of the Protestant Reformation, because one man said, I'm standing up against the church based on the authority of Scripture. And that's one reason why we're here today. So when Michael King, Sr. came back from Germany, he changed his name and his five-year-old son's name to Martin Luther King. Now, that move would be prophetic because that boy would grow up and bring about the greatest social reformation in this nation than we've ever seen. And there came a time when this young man, Dr. Martin Luther King, who took his first church at the age of 27, he was thrust into the limelight to lead the Montgomery bus boycott. And because of his leadership, the nation had to change its laws concerning segregation on public uses of transportation. So he's up on a mountaintop. But because he's on a mountaintop, there were valleys waiting for him. He had been stabbed in Harlem, New York. His home had been bombed. He had been threatened numerous times. In this video that I put on my Facebook page later, it shows that when Dr. King had gotten to a place where he couldn't take it anymore, and there was a threat that came against him that he felt that this one came straight from the pit of hell. All of them did, but this one got through to him, and he thought about giving up, but he had the wherewithal at his kitchen table while everyone was asleep, his wife and his first daughter. He prayed over a cup of coffee and asked the most high God to give him strength. It's my favorite oratorical speech of Dr. King because he's recounting the history of the civil rights movement. Yeah, I love I have a dream. Yeah, I love I've been to the mountaintop. But it's this one as he's given his story of the civil rights movement, how he got to a breaking point, but he turned to God and God flooded his soul with strength, peace and power to keep on going another day and if king hezekiah needed the king and if martin luther king needed the king of all kings we need him too and just as hezekiah had access to him and just as martin luther king had access to the king of the universe through jesus we have access to this king also i want to encourage you i want to encourage myself to make use of that access not just when things are tough but on a regular basis. Because I hear Tamela Mann saying, take me to the king. I don't have much to bring. My life is torn in pieces. But guess what? It's my offering. Lay me at your throne. Leave me there alone. I can't remember the rest of the words, but you know <laughs> what I'm saying. Stand to your feet, stand to your feet. Stand to your feet. Did God encourage your heart with the word this morning? Huh? Huh? Come on, put your hands together. Did he he give you something? I hope so, and I hope you read these stories and make them your own. I hope you read them and make them your own. It's all common to man, and we have a God who's here for each and every one of us. He is no respect of persons. What he's done for others, he will surely do for us. So let's pray. Father, thank you for this time together. Thank you, Lord, that we read in the Bible how your people would celebrate uh, great moments in history and they would commemorate great movements, especially coming out of Egypt through the Red Sea and they would have Passover to remind them year after year. So thank you, Lord, for how the Jews especially were historians and they would say to their children, let me tell you what these stones that came out of the Jordan River meant. Because it's good to look back to give you courage as you're going forward. And I thank you, Lord, that in this nation we get to remember this week, especially tomorrow, a man that you used, a broken man, but yet still your man, just like all of us, to bring about great change. We are at the table of brotherhood today in the beloved community because of what he and so many others sacrificed, even Representative John Lewis that we might be able to enjoy this kind of blessed community in the South. Thank you that we can go back down memory lane and we can open up books and we can watch videos to be reminded of what our ancestors paid for, that we may be at this place. And we have a responsibility for our children who come behind us to make it better for them than even how it is for us. Mm -hmm. Lord, unfortunately, Hezekiah didn't have that kind of mindset. He only cared about what was going on while he was alive. But forgive us when we get selfish like that. Help us to say, Lord, how can we make a difference in this world to be men and women who stand up for justice, righteousness, and equality? Thank you, Dad. Bless this church to be a blessing. Use us, fill us. Thank you, God, for our assignment to experience, to explain and expand. Your diverse kingdom in the city of Nashville and around the world. Bless your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Come on, hug a couple of folks so you get up out of here.